Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Acts chapter 17. When they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks, and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they put Jason and the others on bail and let them go. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. The second reading is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and this can be found in the Pew Bible on page 1186. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the Church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Vanessa, thanks uh, very much indeed, and uh, Happy New Year uh, to you all. Here we are, uh, a few weeks into 2018 in January, which I believe is statistically the most depressing month in the British calendar. Christmas behind us, uh, the reality of increased debt before us, cold, short, dark days with us. Happy New Year. Uh, For many, the remedy of a glum outlook is to plan a summer holiday. So January sees summer holiday brochures flying off the travel agent's shelves, I'm told. If you fancy some uh, summer fun, um, how about Greece? 
uh, or Cyprus. Um, how about the uh, five-star Fodel Beach and Water Park Resort? It's on page 55 of the Thomas Cook Greece and Cyprus December edition. Thomas Cook offers seven nights in the peak season for just £1,215 per person. Sounds lovely, but for a family of five on a vicar's salary, I reckon it's a bit expensive. And because I don't want to wait until July, I've lined up for us 10 weeks in Greece and it won't involve our credit cards. On Sundays between now and Easter, we're off to first century Thessalonica. We're going to follow the footsteps of the Apostle Paul and his companions Silas and Timothy. And if you're like me and you like it hot, let me assure you it will be hot. Because if you're in Uh, first century Thessalonica as a Christian, the heat is on. Well, without further ado, grab your travel brochure. Uh, If you're not with me, that's the Bible. Um, And turn with me to page 1113, the reading we've just had from Acts chapter 17. And as we pray, uh, as we turn to that, I shall pray uh, that God would speak to us uh, through his word. We've sung, uh, Lord and God, that you are the hope living in us by your Holy Spirit. You're the rock in whom we trust. That Jesus is the hope of the nations and the comfort for all who mourn. And so we pray you'd help us to believe that afresh this morning. And so much so that we would be those who want to tell others. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Bible in hand, and uh, also it might be helpful for you to dig out your, uh, the handout of this talk uh, that is also on the bundle uh, in front of you. Uh, I've already done the uh, 10 weeks in Thessalonica, so we're on to the first point, the gospel preached with great effect, verses one to four. As we arrive at the resort, verse one, Paul, along with Silas, Uh, is turning up in Thessalonica and his first stop, even before checking into his room, you'll see is the Jewish synagogue. Verse two tells us that whenever Paul arrived in a new town or city, it was his custom to go to the synagogue to preach the gospel. And verse two, that's exactly what he did for three consecutive Sabbaths, Saturdays for us, Sundays I guess. And each week he reasoned with those in the synagogue, turning to the scriptures, he explained and proved, verse 3, that the Christ had to suffer and then rise from the dead. This, of course, was not a summer break for Paul. It wasn't even a working holiday. He was on a mission. And so he ran a three-week Christianity Explored course in the synagogue, showing people who Jesus is from the Old Testament scriptures. Those uh, sitting before Paul were steeped in uh, in the Old Testament. So on this course, he didn't need to convince his audience that God existed. Uh, They weren't atheists, they weren't even agnostic. And he didn't need to persuade them that the Bible was reliable. They were convinced that the scriptures were God's word. And we see here in verse two and three, the heart and core of the gospel. Do you see it? Gospel proclamation is about Jesus, verse three. It's about trying to persuade people that Jesus is the Christ, verse three. It's about turning to the Bible to do that, verse two, reasoning from the scriptures. And the heart of gospel proclamation, you'll see it there in verse three, is explaining that the Christ is a suffering Christ, that he had to die, verse three, but then he rose from the dead, also verse three. 
Now put all that together and this is how you proclaim the gospel. You turn to the Bible to point people to Jesus, showing them that he is the Christ and speaking of his death and resurrection. That's gospel proclamation. That's what Paul did as he walked into Thessalonica and frankly as he walked into any town or city. As we begin this new year and as many people find themselves depressed and low and wondering what life is all about, we have a message of hope to pass on. The wonderful message of a saviour, someone who can rescue us, not just give us a short-term fix of a holiday in the sun, but someone who can give us life in all its fullness, someone who is what life is all about. Jesus, the saviour of the world who can deal with sin and death. That is the point of uh, Paul talking about um, Jesus' death and resurrection. Someone who can deal with the problem of sin and death. Now, as soon as we have that kind of clarity about the gospel, we know that our message, the gospel message, is relevant for everyone. This is the only problem, the only answer to the problem of death. Because he's gone through death and burst out the other side. He's the only one who's entered the grave, dead and buried, and walked out of it alive, never to die again. No one's ever done that before. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus that makes the gospel relevant to every man and woman and boy and girl who ever walked this planet. Because sin and death are the universal problems of the entire human race. We have plenty of problems in the human race, but those are the ones that are universal. We will all die as sinners. And when we do, if we die as sinners, we will be doomed when we come face to face with a holy God. Jesus alone can deal with that. So at the beginning of this new year, as I hear of people, and it's happened again this week, of people with a diagnosis of cancer or other significant health concerns uh, that they are not going to get better from, and as I meet people, and it's happened again this week, who are looking into another meaningless year, in the gospel, I have a wonderful message for them. In fact, the only message for them. Of course, it's not just a message for those who are facing death or thinking about life. I love the way that Bill put it earlier. Uh, Not just the down and outs, but the up and outs. Because whether we've uh, ever faced it or not, the truth is the problem of sin and death is everyone's problem. It will get us sooner or later. So even as you look at people who seem to be very well, doing very well in life, we need to be saying the gospel's for them as well, even if they don't realise it at the moment. So if you're a Christian here this morning, can I say have confidence in the gospel message that you believe. It is relevant to everyone. I used to spend my life um, trying to persuade people to buy newspapers, the Bedfordshire Times. I used to have to try and persuade them that it would change their life. Yeah, you should laugh, yeah. I, I, I laughed so much in the end I left. This, I love doing this job because this is the message that is relevant to everyone and will change their lives. Uh, believe that and gently and appropriately tell people the gospel. Would you pick up a New Testament? It's free today. Pick it up and give it away. Invite your friends to the Making Sense of God event on a Friday evening. I'm really excited about this event. It's going to be kind of like a chat show. And I'm going to interview a couple of people about how they 
became Christians, why they became Christians, how they've made sense of God. I think it's going to be a wonderful event. Very easy. Invite people along. Come along yourself. The Burns Night event. And if you're not yet a Christian, thanks for coming here uh, this morning. Um, And again, I want to commend to you the Christianity Explored course where you can learn about these things. Learn about Jesus from the scriptures. Learn that he is none other than uh, the Christ, the saviour of the world. Learn that he died and rose again so there is hope for you as you face God. Here in Acts chapter 17 verses two and three is what Christianity is all about. Christianity is not a religious self-improvement scheme with us all trying to be better people. It's not a religious version of a world improvement scheme with us trying to make the world a better place and trying to alleviate suffering and to help the downtrodden and marginalized. All those things are valuable And in some way, they spring out of following Jesus Christ. But you don't have to be a Christian to try and live a better life or make a better world. Lots of other people do that. The unique thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it deals with the universal problem of sin and death. Jesus died so you and I can be forgiven. He rose from the dead, proving that we can have life beyond the grave, never to die again. So if you're not sure about these things, come along to Christianity Explored course. What have we seen so far then? Paul has walked into the synagogue in Thessalonica and for three weeks he opened the Bible and talked about the death and resurrection of Jesus who is the Christ. And I love how he did it. Look at verse two again. He reasoned from the scriptures. And verse three, he explained and proved. And verse three, he proclaimed. Uh, Yes, he had a message to preach. He did proclaim it. But he didn't just expect people to believe it through blind faith. He reasoned with them. The gospel is reasonable. It's logical. It can be explained and proved. Again, at the beginning of this year, here's a challenge for us. If we are Christians, we need to be able to do the same, to reason, explain, and prove from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ and that he died and rose again. We shouldn't just expect people to believe it because we believe it or because we say it's true. We've got to show them it's true. This would be an excellent New Year's resolution, whether you like them or not, to be committed to be able to do that. I think it's incumbent upon every Christian to say, I believe this, I need to show other people why I believe it and why it's reasonable to believe it. It'd be a great thing to do. So Paul reasoned, explained and proved that Jesus is the Christ, the suffering Messiah who would die for our sins and rise again for us. And look what happens as he did that wonderfully, verse four. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. I love uh, not only that people responded so positively, I love the collection of people that are there in verse four. Do you see it? Jews, Greeks, and a number of prominent women. I love it because it demonstrates the fantastic scope of the gospel. Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles, people from all nations. The gospel is for people all over the world. Men and women, both genders. And I love that little detail, not a few prominent women. Women of high social status are highlighted here. Why? Because there would have been people of low social status who responded. But he says, but there are also some of high social status. Put all that together and we see the gospel is for everyone, whatever race, gender or social background. 
You see, that's brilliant. As we look around at people, uh, at our friends, our neighbours and colleagues, uh, people we pass on the street, sort of uh, just people we, we know as acquaintances, we don't ever need to think to ourselves that they won't be interested in the gospel. We don't need to think their sort is, or even they have a different religion, or they've got it made. The gospel's for everyone because everyone has the problem of sin and death. And Jesus is the only answer. So far then, this has been a brilliant three-week mission for Paul and Silas. I know Chris is a keen evangelist. I am too. Uh, We would love that to be the response every time we went out with the gospel. People have turned to Jesus Christ. But because we're looking at this chapter in Acts as an introduction to looking at the letter of 1 Thessalonians, it's crucial that we note that in Thessalonica here, was a brand new church of new converts. Now, admittedly, they weren't green behind the ears when it came to the things of God and the Bible. Some of them were Jews steeped in the Old Testament scriptures from birth, and the Greeks were clearly God-fearing. They attended the synagogue each week, but still, they were new Christians. They had only had three weeks of Paul explaining the Bible to them from a Christian perspective, and that was quite different, of course, to the church in, say, Ephesus, where Paul stayed for three years explaining the Bible to them. This was a brand new, fledgling church, Really important for us to remember in the weeks to come when we come to 1 Thessalonians and really important when we put it together with what we see next in Acts chapter 17 and that is the second point uh, on, the, on the handout that the gospel was rejected with great determination. Verses 5 to 15. See in verse 4 then people were converted to Christ but verse 5 the Jews were jealous. Well I bet they were. Paul had walked into their synagogue and told people to become Christians and some of them had done just that. Imagine someone sniffing around Christchurch forward on Sundays over coffee, grabbing people and telling them that the core message of the ministry here is wrong. And then people from our own congregation, some who are sitting among you now, deciding to follow these intruders and uh, leaving us. We'd be none too pleased. Well, that said, I hope we wouldn't react the way the Jews did in Thessalonica because verse five, they decided to rent a mob. Verse five, the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Oh, today it would be them posting on Facebook an angry polemic against Paul and Silas, accusing them of turning people against the Jewish faith. It was fuel for the fire for the right-wing extremists. The, the Jewish Defence League were mobilised, if they existed, and the first-century equivalent of skinheads, hooligan football supporters, I don't know whether they were from uh, United or Wednesday, but anyway, they were up for a fright and they turned up in the city centre with offensive and dangerous weapons discreetly hidden on their person, They were in for a good old rumble. It's a sort of scenario that, of course, is featured in one of those documentaries about Brits abroad. Um, We're on a trip to Thessalonica, and before we know it, we're standing in the middle of a riot. It's uh, terrifying. And as things begin to kick off, some of the hooligans get wind that Paul and Silas had been staying at Jason's house. And so they ran there with the intention of duffing them up and then dragging Paul and Silas out before the baying crowd. They knocked down the door, ran through the house, but couldn't find Paul and Silas. So they lynched Jason and some other Christian brothers and hauled them before their local MP and the magistrates. All of that is in verses 5, 6 and 7. It was chaos 
Of course, when chaos reigns, fake news is not far away. Listen to the angry mob shouting their false accusations against Paul, Silas, Jason and the others. Verse 6, when they didn't find them in Jason's house, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials shouting, these men have caused trouble all over the world and, we've now, and have now come here. Well, of course, there's some truth in what they say. Paul and Silas had certainly travelled the known world. And for sure, Paul and Silas had been in trouble in other places around the Mediterranean. It has been said before that when Paul arrived in any new town, he didn't ask, what are the hotels like here, but what are the prisons like here, because that was where he's most likely to end up. So there'd been plenty of trouble as Paul travelled around the known world. That said... To accuse them of causing trouble all over the world is an exaggeration. Fake news. Anyway, the crowd turned on Jason. Verse 6 and 7. They said, Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there's another king, one called Jesus. It was a guilt by association. Jason has welcomed into his house. Since when was that a crime? Well, of course, it is a crime if you're harboring criminals. And that's what they were accused of doing. Uh, Jason has harboured people who are saying there's another king. Well, of course, that's half right, isn't it? Paul and Silas were saying that Jesus is the king. But Christians had never been bad citizens who refused to obey the the state, except, of course, when the state tells us not to follow Jesus. And do note the irony of verse 7. When did first century Jews ever care about people following Caesar's decrees? They hated the Romans. But they were so against Paul, Silas and the Christian gospel that they would do anything to cause trouble. Anyway, verse 8, when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil and they put Jason and the others on bail and let them go. Look, if we've seen the heart of the gospel message in Paul's preaching in verses two and three, here we see a common response to the gospel and that is very simply serious opposition. Now let's not be surprised when we get a hard time for what we believe. It's always been the case. And note where the opposition is coming from. First here, it's uh, from religious people. In the case uh, of Paul here, it's the Jews who were jealous for that. That is not an anti-Semitic comment, just a fact. The point is, very often, religious people are the people who react most vehemently against the gospel. A strange saying that, isn't it? Uh, today, in the Church of England, religious people who don't love the gospel as it's revealed in the scriptures, that Jesus is the Christ who died for our sin and rose again to eternal life, are the people that often will give us the hardest time. Well, when we proclaim the message, don't be surprised then if you get a hard time. Opposition came from religious people and it also came in part from the state. The city, the city officials were involved. Did you see that? Uh, to be fair here, it's not so much opposition from the government, but rather that the government didn't stand up to defend the Christians. Well, that's what we find today, isn't it? Uh, aren't you disappointed when the government uh, passes laws that doesn't support the gospel? Aren't you disappointed when the government doesn't help to protect Christians as they're simply standing up for what they believe? Well, be disappointed, but don't be surprised. It was ever the case back then, and it will be the case in the future. 
Here's the big problem. Uh, Here's the big thing to note. Opposition comes. Whether it's from people who are religious or from those in authority who don't support us. But when that happens, don't think we're doing something wrong. You see, what happened to Paul and Silas here first happened to Jesus. I think Luke in Acts is doing this quite deliberately. He's showing us a parallel. Do you remember that it was out of jealousy, out of envy, that the Jews of Jesus' day hauled Jesus before Pilate, the Roman governor? It's exactly the same. And Pilate, rather than protect Jesus because he was an innocent man, handed him over to be crucified. It's exactly the same. It happened to Jesus, it happened to Paul and Silas. So when it happens to us, don't think you're doing something wrong. No, this is the pattern and it's what's going to happen. Now, most importantly for us, as we look through 1 Thessalonians in the weeks ahead, just see how determined the opposition is here. See the lengths they went to to try and get rid of Paul. Look at verse 10. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. I love that. Despite all that happened in Thessalonica, Paul does exactly the same again. He goes to the synagogue in Berea and starts to tell people about Jesus. He knows it will get him into trouble. In Acts chapter 16, in Philippi, it got him thrown into prison and he only got out through God's miraculous intervention. In Acts chapter 17, as we've seen in Thessalonica, it resulted in a riotous mob baying for his blood and he only got out under cover of darkness. And yet the moment that he arrives in Berea, he proclaims the gospel again because the gospel's so important. It's the message that everyone, universally everyone needs to hear. The message that sin deals with sin and death. And we're all gonna die and we're all going to face God as, a, as, our, as sinful people and we need then the message of the Saviour. Paul was so convinced of that, he wouldn't be deflected. He went to the Jewish synagogue in Berea and he told them about Jesus and wonderfully, verse 11, the Bereans were of no more noble character than the Thessalonians for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true and many of the Jews believed as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Exactly the same again. Jews and Gentiles, men and women of all social standing become Christians. But it's what happens next that is most important, I think, for us as we study 1 Thessalonians in the weeks ahead. Look at verse 13. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there to agitating the crowds and stirring them up. Berea was about 45 miles from Thessalonica. And as you know, there were no cars, no public transport, no trains, no good roads. So to get from Thessalonica to Berea would have meant a nine-hour hike. But here were some in Thessalonica who were so full of hatred for Paul and the gospel that they went all the way down to Berea to agitate crowds to stir stir them up. And when we put these two big points together, Firstly, that this was a young, fledgling church of new believers who only had three weeks of a Christianity explored course. And that there was such fierce opposition in Thessalonica. When we put those two things together, 
then we begin to understand much of why Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians. Before we turn there, just note verse 14. Uh, Because of the opposition, Paul was sent to the coast for his protection, leaving Silas and Timothy in Berea. And verse 15, Paul then went on to Athens, where, as you know, he continued to preach the gospel because he wouldn't be deflected. Now, Acts 17, then, is the historical backdrop uh, to 1 Thessalonians. And as we close for the last couple of minutes, and it really only will be a couple of minutes, turn with me to page 1187. Uh, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we get a little bit more of the sense of what's going on in in 1 Thessalonians that we will study from next week. Page 1187. Remember, the Thessalonians were young Christians with serious opposition against them. Paul has been separated from them. He can't get back to see them and he is desperate to know that they haven't caved in under the serious pressure and opposition against them. And so we read chapter two, verse 17. Brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought. You see, it wasn't out of sight, out of mind. He didn't stop thinking about them. Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. He did everything he could to go back to Thessalonica, but he couldn't get in without being killed. We wanted to come to you, verse 18. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. You feel the emotional intensity, can't you? Paul is desperate to know how the Thessalonians are doing, but he can't go back to see them or he'll be lynched by an angry mob. And so look on to chapter three, verse one. When we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. I love that, when we could stand it no longer. He loves the Thessalonians so much. There's no Facebook, no FaceTime, not even a telephone uh, to make a call. So, but he wants to know how they're doing. And so he says, when I could stand it no longer, verse two, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you we'd be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. See what's going on there? He sent Timothy. He says, I told you we were going to be persecuted. I told you there'd be serious opposition. You know it happened. I've sent Timothy to see how you're doing. Verse five, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent out to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. Do you hear it? He's really concerned that these new Christians under such pressure from people who hate the gospel have given up following Jesus Christ. But listen to the glorious good news in verse six. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. They're still going on as Christians. They can't wait to see Paul. And Paul is writing with joy that these young, fledgling Christians are still going on as Christians despite serious opposition. And then he writes this letter to encourage them to keep going in the Christian life. Week one then of our 10-week trip to Thessalonica, it's hot, there is serious opposition. But it's also wonderful to see Christians basking in the sun. See what I did there? The S-O-N. Never mind. 
And as we come to Thessalonica week after week, it will lift us from the gloom of January as we see a real Christian church standing firm despite opposition. Indeed, that is my prayer, that as we read this letter together over these next weeks, that it will be an encouragement to us too to be like them, that in turn will bring light and life to hundreds around us. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that we have a glorious gospel to proclaim. We thank you that uh, the gospel that we know is relevant for everyone. Uh, The gospel of the Lord Jesus, uh, who died and rose again, who is the Christ, um, our Saviour. And we pray you'd help us, like the Apostle Paul, and indeed like the Thessalonians, to not only stand firm in that gospel, but to proclaim it to everyone we can, uh, that they too may turn to you and have life forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.